0: Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew this morning. The book of Matthew this morning, Matthew. I hope we can have as much fun in here as they're about to have over there. Matthew chapter 25 this morning. Before we get to the scripture passage, I'd like to just give you a quick review of where we've been. We've been in this series for several weeks now called Faith. Foundations and understanding what our faith is founded on and important things in our faith and in our walk with the Lord. Normally, as uh, in our preaching times, we take a book of the Bible and work through it from beginning to end. And earlier this year, we preached through the book and looked at the book of Colossians together. Uh, Last year, uh, we went through the book of Nehemiah together. And I love studying through those books of God's Word from beginning to end. But during this time, as uh, we have lots of different things going on in our, ch- in our world, don't we? And uh, I thought it would be important for us to step back and consider some of these foundational truths that are important to our Christian life and our walk with the Lord. We started this series by looking at the end of the book of Job as we considered a God who is worthy. And Job, who was a righteous man, the Bible says who feared God, he eschewed evil, and yet God allowed great difficulty in Job's life. God allowed Satan to come in and to torment him and to tempt him and bring all kinds of struggle. In fact, Job lost all of his riches, he lost all of his children, and he lost all of it in a very short span of time, just probably a few minutes or a few hours. Even Job's own wife said, Job, you ought to curse God and die. And Job came to the point where he said it would have been better if I had not been born. Job's three encouraging friends come and meet with him for most of the book. And if you've read the book of Job, you know that they weren't very encouraging. Rather, they kept telling Job all the things that he had done wrong and all of the problems he had. And Job comes to the end of the book and he's discouraged, it seems like, and he's questioning God. And he asked God, God, why have you allowed this in my life? God, what are you doing? And God comes to Job and he answers Job's question, as God often does, with a whole bunch of questions. Job, where were you? Where were you when I created everything? Job, do you know where the snow comes from? Where I store it up? Job, do you control the rain? We learned that this past week, right? We don't control the rain. God does. And in these series of questions, as Job realizes who God is and who he is in relationship to God, by by the end of the book, Job has humbled himself and he repents from his sin. Job, even a righteous man, had to repent and decide, no, I'm I'm going to serve God. Even in all the difficulty, and even when I look at all my own righteousness, it's not enough. I've got to humble myself and serve God. Then the next week, we went over to the New Testament and looked at the passage where the Bible tells us that God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What a great ministry God has given to us. And you know... We have that ministry because God has already reconciled to us or us to Himself through the work of Christ Jesus. We are new creatures in Him. So we can be reconciled to God. Then He's given to us that ministry to share with others. We we talked about the idea that reconciliation brings us to God and it brings the lost to salvation then the next week, this was just a couple of weeks ago, we went back over to the Old Testament again to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, but if I said those Hebrew names you probably wouldn't recognize them because these men had been taken away from their home. They'd been given new names had to learn a new language, a new culture, and now they were being told that they had to worship a false god. We talked about the idea of how to stand when everyone else bows. And we learned that if we will exercise our faith by resting in God's promises, we can stand for truth when everyone else bows. We live in a world today wants to bow to everything except to God. And as Christians it should be the opposite. We only worship the one true God. Then last week we were back to the New Testament as Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. I'm so thankful that when I'm weak he is strong brokenness and strength. The question is not whether you have a thorn, because I think we all probably do. Some may even have more than one. The question is, what will you do with your thorn? Will you allow it to discourage you and divide you and push you away from God? Or will it bring you to a place of complete dependence upon the Lord? We need that in this day in which we live. This morning in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to consider the last of three parables that Matthew gives us here. In Matthew chapter 24, he is talking about the return of the Lord. And he has this passage where he says, There will be two in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding at the mill, one shall be taken and the other left watch therefore he says for ye know not what hour your lord doth come god wants you to be ready when he returns and he gives three parables we're going to look at the last one but let me just give you a brief synopsis of the first two the first parable he gives is of a at the end of chapter 24 is of a, a of a wealthy man who left his servant in charge of things, made him ruler over his household so that he would feed and care for his household but when he went away and then came back he said the servant who does what his master told him to do is blessed but the servant who doesn't really think that the master is ever going to return and instead he lives for himself and mistreats The other people in the household, the Bible says that's an evil servant. And we learn from this parable that we should be careful that we are not so engrossed with the present life that we live that we fail to take into consideration the inevitability of God's return. He's coming back. But a lot of people today live with no thought of that in mind. If they went to church, oh, yeah, yeah, he's coming back. But they don't live like it. The second story is told in the beginning of chapter 25 as he talks about these ten virgins, the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. What was the difference between them? All ten were looking for the bridegroom to come. They were looking for the wedding to start. So that wasn't the difference. The difference is five had oil in their lamps and five didn't have enough because it ran out. And When the bridegroom tarried, right, he, he waited a little longer than they thought he was going to wait. You know, we've been living in that period of history for the last 2,000 years. You know, Christians have been looking for the return of Christ ever since he ascended back up into heaven. Some believe that's what the Those were doing in the upper room after Jesus ascended. They just went up in the upper room and kind of waited, hoping He was going to come back. And instead, He sent His Holy Spirit as He promised. And Peter went out and preached, and the church was begun on the day of Pentecost. But throughout all these last years since Christ ascended up into heaven, Christians have been looking for His return. And yet He has tarried. He's waited a little longer. You know, that's how the Jews felt before Jesus came to this earth the first time. You know, when Eve had her first child, do you know what his name meant? I have gotten a man, the Lord. See, she probably thought that Cain was that promised one who would bruise the head of Satan. But he wasn't, was he? And for thousands of years, the Lord tarried before He sent the Messiah. But I love what the Bible says, now when the fullness of time was come. That word fullness is the idea of, just like some of the ladies are feeling here right now, pregnant. (laughs) That's really what the word's talking about. It's like the time was so full, it was ready, it was going to happen. And some of you moms know that day. You're like, surely today. Surely it can't be another whole day. But babies are always born on their birthday. (laughs) And Jesus will come back when He's ready. And it'll be exactly in the right time. See, in the second parable, the story of these ten virgins were warned against a future expectation that does not deal adequately with the present. I think there are Christians who are looking for the return of Christ, but they aren't able to deal with what they're living in right now because they're not prepared to live in this dark day in which we live. By the time the bridegroom came, their lamps could not be lit. So then we come to the final parable in this series that Matthew gives to us in helping us to better understand what it's going to look like when the kingdom comes, when the kingdom of heaven is brought into full reality for us who are currently living in this life. And he illustrates it for us this way. Follow along with me, verse 14. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants, and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man, notice, according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, the same five talents, and made them, other five talents, and likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two, but these first two guys are very similar then the third servant, but he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money did you notice whose money it was? it wasn't his, it was his Lord's money. Verse 19, After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh. See, it wasn't a short time, it was a long time. He, he waited a while before He came back, and He reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. This was a servant that was excited for his master's return because he couldn't wait to show him what he had done with the five talents that his master had entrusted him with. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, look, look what I did. Look, I have gained two other talents beside them. He was excited to see his master's return. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things enter thou into the joy of thy Lord then he which had received the one talent came and said Lord I knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed and I was afraid And went and hid thy talent in the earth. Did you notice that? This servant also recognized whose money it was. And lo, here thou hast that is thine. Verse 26, His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not straw. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that he hath, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'd like to preach to you for a little while this morning on this idea. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't take what isn't yours. You see, when you realize that everything that you have comes from God, you will use God's gifts for God's glory And understand that this brings you the most joy. Don't take what isn't yours. The key to this whole passage, I believe, is contained in this first point that we understand that the source of all blessing is God. You have to understand where it all comes from. The man who was the master in this story gave... To his, of His own wealth to His servants. James 1.17 says it this way, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. Our family loves to sing at Thanksgiving time, and maybe yours as well. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It all comes from Him. God is the owner of all things. This truth is foundational to our understanding of God stewarding what He's given us so we can be ready when He returns. You know, stewardship's not just about your money. It's not just about putting offerings in the plate at church. Sometimes churches try to use that just to force that issue. Stewardship is saying everything I have comes from God. Therefore, I have to use it Not as my own, but as He would want me to use it. You know, when I was a boy, I remember riding in the car with my mom to go to the bank. Sometimes she'd have to go and deposit a check, and I liked to go through there and see her put the check in the little tube and push the button, and the air sound and suck it up, and it'd be gone. And maybe if the teller was really nice and they saw us kids in the car, they'd put a little lollipop in there when it came out the other day, and that was the best days at the bank. I still remember that. But I also remember some days, occasionally, when my mom needed to get some money out of the bank, we would go through the other part of the drive-thru where they had the ATM machine. She would pull up to the ATM machine, and she would put in her little pulse card, and she would type in that super secret code. And then money would just come out. I thought, this is a good deal. I have to wait for birthdays. Or maybe I did a little job for somebody else and they gave me some money. One time, I remember as a boy, we had a traveling preacher come to our church. And he gave me a dollar bill. I remember I was so excited about that. He used me as a sermon illustration. He called me up talked about how to get a gift. Is it something you receive or something you earn? And I got a whole dollar out of that deal. That's the best sermon I ever heard in my life. (laughs) I remember it to this day because I got a dollar out of that one. That may be more I get than out of this one. I'll just say that right now, okay? But we go to those ATM machines, and I remember thinking as a boy, I think I may have even asked some of these questions. Is, is there a man that sits inside that machine and he just kind of feeds the money out to you? Where does it come from? I mean, Wouldn't it be great if, if I could do something like that, just go and type in a special code and money comes out to me every time? And then I get to do with it whatever I want? See, I didn't understand that that money didn't just come from that machine. Somebody had to put the money in the machine, and my parents had to put some money in the bank <laughs> so then, then they could access some of that money in the machine. Because they weren't getting someone else's money, they were getting what was already theirs. And as you grow older, you understand where things come from. But the problem is even adults, as adults, I think we still are stuck in thinking that we live in a world that is controlled by some sort of ATM machine that we can just go up and type a code on it and money just comes out and we get to do whatever we want with it. Time comes out and we just get to do with, with it whatever we want ability comes out and i can just i can have a good time live my life do whatever i want because it's the magic atm machine god is not your magic atm machine it's all his to start with and it's going to be all his when it's all over we need to understand the source of our blessings king david understood the source look at first chronicles 29 Verse 10, the Bible says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. May we not fall into the trap of only blessing God and thanking God when He gives us something that's unexpected or gives us something when we didn't feel like we had enough or gives us something to meet a need that we couldn't meet on ourselves. May we realize that everything we have comes from God from the first dollar to the last dollar, from the first moment we wake up in the morning till the last moment before we go to bed, from the ability to sing, to the ability to speak, to the ability to breathe, to the ability to walk, to the place to have a church to worship God, for freedom to come and to praise God together. May we realize it all comes from God. These men understood the source Their wealth. Your source comes from God. uh, Your source of wealth comes from God. Notice this, secondly the security, your security is dependent on the source of your blessings. The reason one man was afraid and the others were not. One man understood what the source was. These two men understood that they served a good master. The other one thought he served a bad master. Some people view God that way, don't they? God is a bad master. He's a hard master. God's more concerned in taking things away from me and making life hard. From my study, this, even this servant who says, You're a hard master, hired man, reaping where you have not stone, and gathering where thou hast not straw. This is just terminology that would have been used of a shrewd businessman. Not hard in the sense of bad and mean, but careful. From my understanding, these were the Jewish proverbs of the day that would have been used of a man who was good at business and that he's able to get a harvest from a place he didn't sow in the first place. Two men knew the source and understood that the source was good. One thought the source was bad and that changed everything about their security of what they had. What's your ATM machine this morning? Is it your job? Is it your inheritance? Where does it come from? Well, I got good genes. I have my health because I work out, eat right. No, you have your health because God gave it to you. Job learned that. One day he's healthy and then God... Allows Satan to touch him and he has boils. Well, I've got this. Look at my business. I've built out of nothing. It's the wrong source, it all comes from God. Paul was so concerned about this in the church that he even told Timothy, this young pastor in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. He said, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in, notice, uncertain riches. You don't understand that riches are uncertain. You've been asleep for the last six months. Uncertain certain riches but he says trust in the living god who giveth us richly all things to enjoy let's stop for just a minute and count our blessings like the song says count your blessings name them one by one and it'll surprise you what the lord has done we don't take enough time to count our blessings do we I'm thankful to see people trust Christ as their Savior. That's a blessing. Every single time it's a miracle. You know why? Because it's new birth. New birth is always a miracle. I'm thankful for a place to sit even after the big storm this week that still has air conditioning and lights. And the chairs are relatively soft. Don't go to sleep now, stay awake. I'm thankful for people who serve, for people who sing. Thankful for people who work in the nursery and in the junior church. I'm thankful for children. Thankful for instruments. I'm thankful for God's financial provision to take care of our staff and the needs around the church and to support our missionaries around the world. I'm thankful to, even during this year, to be able to have a large part in starting another church down the road. Many places never get to experience that ever. That's God. I'm thankful even for the challenging times that we've been going through the last few months because I think, at least in my life, God has been using it to remind me that He is the source of all blessing. And maybe God's been reminding some of you of the same thing. Isn't it great that He gives us this reminder now, before He returns? Because one day, the Master's coming back. And there's going to be a day of reckoning. I'm thankful for a place to sleep, a vehicle to drive, a, a job. I'm thankful for friends and family and good food and education, the ability to read God's Word and to have God's Word in our language to read it. You know, I saw a, a, a visual this week of all the languages in the world that don't have the Bible in their own native tongue. You know, there's more languages that don't have the Bible in their language than, than do. That's pretty amazing to think about. I was talking with Billy about that just this past week. By the way, Billy and Lisa are out of town visiting her family, and I know they're enjoying some time away. But Billy's dad, who's, who grew up, who lives there in the, his part of India, is busy right now. He said he's been using this coronavirus time making a Bible translation in their native tongue because they don't have one in Billy's native language of Qom. Say, well, it's a small people group. Yeah, there's only 25,000 of them in the world. They need the Bible too. For all the folks that feel like minorities, Billy is the minority of minorities. He's one of two here in the United States of his particular people group. That's pretty fascinating, isn't it? I'm thankful that of all the people in the world, I got to know Billy and serve with Him. When I look back at my life and how God has directed and led and brought people across my path, I was thinking about this church this week. And I was counting up in my head, I couldn't get past about 20 or 25 people in this room today that I knew three years ago that are here today. Most of you I didn't get to know, and now you're my dearest friends and family. I'm so thankful God gives us good gifts. Maybe we need to step back and count our blessings sometimes because we're so caught up trying to get more for ourselves. Notice back in the story, the master says that he delivered to his servants his goods. Later on, the servant himself said, here's yours, here's what is yours. The actions of the servant's that are recorded in this story are dependent on their view of their master. The way you live your life is evidence of how you view God. If you take stock of where you're at and what you're doing, that'll tell you all you need to know about your theology. One, one preacher, I think it was Tozer, said it this way, What you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What's your security in this morning? I hope it's not in the bank. I hope it's not in the stash of cash under your bed because they may stop taking that. We get upset about those things. But if your security is in anything other than the Lord, it's in the wrong place. Notice, secondly, this morning, the steward of the blessing is you. I know I spent a long time on the first point it's because it's the most important one. If you don't understand the source, then the rest of this message doesn't matter. But if you understand that the source is God, Then secondly, notice, the steward of the blessing is you. The master, in verse 15, the man who went away, he gave to each servant according to their own ability, to every man according to his several ability. You know what that means? That means God has given you exactly what He wants you to have right now. No more, no less. Some people ask this question, well, how can I get more? Or how much has He given me? That's the wrong question to ask. The right question is this, what am I doing with what God has given me? What are you doing with it? Don't spend your life and time just trying to get more. Spend your time being faithful with what you have. That's the answer for these servants. The way they got more was being faithful, by being faithful with what they had. Because the emphasis is on this passage, even in the rewards, is not, well, you got five more, so you're better than the guy that got two more. No, the blessing was the same. It's not about getting more. It's about being faithful to what you have. Because the master expects faithfulness. God has given you everything. You don't need to worry about getting more. He's given you every single thing that you have. So to not be content with what you have is to say, God, you don't know me very well and you don't give very good gifts. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The Bible tells us that Godliness with contentment is great gain. So what is the blessings what are the blessings that God has given you to manage? Is he given you time? Often our young people or sometimes the single adults, maybe some of our retired folks, God's given you some time. How are you using your time? It's a precious resource. And it's one that you can't hang on to. You know that. How are you using it? God's given you talent. He's given you ability. How are you using it? He's given you treasure. Now, I know it's easy to say, well, He had not given me much of that. Well, clearly you didn't have much ability with it, so that's why He didn't give it to you. You say, whoa, why are you telling me that? Well, that's what the Bible says right here. He gives you according to your ability. So be faithful with what He's given you, and maybe you'll demonstrate a little more ability, and He can give you a little more so that you can be faithful with that too. I don't know about you, but I sit around and try to figure out sometimes how I can get a little more. We all do. The problem is not God. God. He gives you exactly what you can manage. And often, that's our problem. We're not doing a very good job in managing what God has already given us. Why would the master entrust you with more of his riches if you're not being faithful with the riches he's already entrusted you with? That would not be a wise master, would it? See, in this passage, we see very clearly that the standard of success is not in amounts. This, this determining characteristic of, our, of the steward's success, it's not volume, it's faithfulness. It's faithfulness. The standard of success is faithfulness to the master you will give an an account when the master returns verse 19 he after he came back he reckoned with his servants god has filled our church with people who have great spiritual resources of bible knowledge and experience of great physical resources of finances and material goods and others who have great experience in life and great wisdom. But it's easy for you to look at someone else who has a resource that you don't have. And often you're better at managing someone else's blessings than you are at managing your own. Why, where would our church be if? Sister so-and-so really served the Lord like she should with all that talent God's been giving her. Boy, if that family, if they'd really give to the Lord, wouldn't God's word go forward? It's easier to manage other people's blessings than it is to manage your own, isn't it? Because the problem is we often view the blessings God's given us as something that's now ours. It's easier to spend other people's money, isn't it? Just look at the government, right? They're really good at spending your money. Uh, (laughs) I I read some of those things and see some of those things online. We're going to do this for you. We're going to give you all this. Where did it come from? The government's not the source. We need some people need to realize that today too, right? No, God's the source. God's the source. But it's easy to look at somebody else and say, well, if I had the resources that they had, then I'd really do something for the Lord. If God would just give me a little more, then I'll give back to Him. Well, you're not faithful in doing with what God has given you. Because the reality is, God doesn't need your money, He wants you. He wants you. You say, well, why does the Bible deal so much with our money? For where your treasure is, (laughs) there will your heart be also. Why? Because so much of what we love is tied up in what we own. But this isn't just about money. This is about all of your life. And if you sit here today and say, well, I knew at some point, I've been in this church three years and he's never preached a message like this. I knew he was going to come to money one of these days. Well, I guess you're going to have to keep waiting because this isn't just about money. This is about all of life. As soon as the master returned, he called all of his servants to him. His standard was the same for each servant. His standard was faithfulness. What did you do with what you have been given. The master was equally pleased with the servant who started with two talents as the one who started with five. Stop making excuses because you don't have what someone else has. Be faithful with what you do have. Don't fail to be faithful because you're holding on to something that wasn't yours in the first place. Don't take what isn't yours. Does God have you this morning? Does He have all of you? Some people will trust God with their heart. They'll trust God with their eternal destination. If you can trust Him with that, then you can trust Him with everything that He's given you right now in this life to live. How can you truly be trusting in God for salvation and not be trusting Him to take care of you every single step of the way? How foolish. If we're going to trust God with our salvation, we can trust Him with everything. The two faithful servants were successful because they maintained a stewardship mentality. Their greatest pleasure, that's when they got... The joy, entering into the joy of their Lord. Their greatest pleasure and highest goal was in putting their master's money to work in ways that would further their master's interests. The unfaithful servant was the opposite. He sought to protect his own interests. I was afraid, so I buried it in the ground, and here you can have what's yours back again. He lost his opportunity for advancement. Now, I think this is interesting. The Bible doesn't say this explicitly here in the passage. But this was an interesting point that was brought out in some of the study that I did this week. Because when the, ma- when the man says, I was afraid uh, about what you would do, so I buried it in the ground, the master says, well, you should have just given my money to the money changers, and then I could have gotten it back with interest. And one person said it this way, perhaps the man didn't want to give the money to the money changers because then he would have to register it with the money changers as belonging to the master. Perhaps he was hoping that the master, because he'd already delayed so long in coming, he wouldn't come back at all. And so by hiding the money, he was in essence keeping it for himself. That's an interesting thought to consider, isn't it? Are you hiding it? Are you burying what God has given you just to keep it for yourself? He's not talking about saving here. We'll, we'll mention that here in just a minute, but are you being faithful? What, what servant represents you? Are you stewarding for God's glory? Or are you lacking faith in God's goodness and using all of God's resources on yourself? So what does faithfulness look like? I, I'm going to just quickly give you five principles from this passage i think we can see number one faithfulness looks like hard work (laughs) work diligently these first two servants it took a lot more work for them to invest the money some of you are building businesses some of you are working very hard in your career some of you are working hard looking for jobs right now you're working hard it takes a lot of work to be faithful It was a lot more work for the first two servants than for the one who buried it in the ground. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Be diligent with what God has given you. Diligence is not a gift. It is something that is developed over time. Now, your experience may be different than mine. I've only had five children, but none of them were born diligent. I'm thankful that they're learning to be diligent though. I'm thankful for my children who do work hard and are a blessing at home and even at our church. You can be a hard worker whether you're the lowest person at your company or the highest. You can be a hard hard worker if you don't have a job or if you do. Faithfulness requires hard work. Secondly. First of all, work hard, work diligently. Secondly, transfer ownership. Acknowledge that everything comes from God and keep giving it back to Him. God, you just allowed me to take care of this for you for a while, but it's still all yours. If you constantly remind yourself that it was all God's to start with, it's really helpful in being faithful to your Master. Work diligently, transfer ownership. Number three, steward efficiently. Use your time, talents, and treasure efficiently. We see these men, they took five and turned it into five more, and two and turned it into two more. They must have been efficient in their work. They weren't wasting it along the way. Oh, Christian, may we not waste God's resources. Sometimes we have so much money and time and talent just wrapped up up in things that have no value, no real eternal value, not even much present value, just more just to consume it on our own lust. Listen, I know you like to watch things on TV. Can I pick on something for a minute? But how many more channels do you need? I'm constantly calling and checking on our internet and everything else and I'm thankful we got a better deal this week because I don't want to waste money on my internet. They're always calling me, we can get you just faster speed. Why? I'm not playing games on the internet. I don't need to kill anybody any faster. (laughs) If I can check my email and if I can, you know, send some things to the paper, you know, online that I need to do, it's Okay. I don't have time to watch all those t- channels on my TV. And you're going to find this crazy. We don't even have any of those channels on our TV. And we just cut it off. You know what we have more of, though? It's time. I was talking to the guys in, in... Now, please understand me when I say this. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but we were talking to the guys over in Louisiana on Friday, and they said, you know... Ever since the hurricane, there's been no more coronavirus. I said, why is that? He said, there's no more cable TV. (laughs) (laughs) So when the news was gone, nobody has it, nobody knows. Everybody's just trying to rebuild their house. (laughs) My dad said this once, God owns all the cattle but sometimes we like to kill some for sport and just let the meat go to waste. Don't waste God's resources. Learn to be content with what you have. Work diligently, transfer ownership, steward efficiently, because it's all God's to start with. Number four, save regularly. This is not a message that says don't save anything. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs eleven sixteen, A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retain riches. They save some things. Because right, every day is not going to be like the good day when you had money. You're going to have some days when you don't. Save. God, God's Word teaches us to save. Even right now when our children, as they're young in the home, when they get money for a birthday, or they work and have a little job and make some money. They take, we have envelopes, and they take 10% out, and they put it into the tithe envelope, and then that comes and goes to the church. say, I see how you pay yourself. You make your kids. That's child labor. No. A lot of the money that they earn came out of my pocket in the first place. But you know what? We're trying to teach them the right principle. They give 10% to the Lord, then, then there's another savings envelope that they have. That's the one they're always like, Dad, what do I have to do to get into that savings envelope, you know? If I buy this, could that come out of the savings envelope? No, I'm just saving it. What are we saving it for? Well, we'll know when it's time. Savings. And then... They have some left over, and they can use that to purchase some of the things that they enjoy doing. Remember, even your savings belong to God. And then finally, give generously. You know, giving is a discipline. Some of you think, well, when I get to this point, then I'll give. Elijah, you don't have a lot of money right now, do you? But you can learn to give even if you have a little bit, right? Right? because giving's a discipline you can't give what God has not first given you but as God gives it don't be afraid to invest it back in his work giving's not a matter of can or can't it's a matter of will or won't everybody can give the bible even talks about that widow gave her two mites Remember, God doesn't need your money. Remember what Jesus said about that widow, that she had given more than all the rest because she gave everything she had. She understood the source of her blessing. She understood that her security was not in her finances or in what she had. Her security was in the source. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver." I like what my pastor used to say, don't give till it hurts, give till it feels good. (laughs) Give till you're happy about it. We lived in Indiana for a few years, and we used to go visit this dairy farm with the kids. And they'd bring all these cows out and put them on the machine. And this machine, they milked so many cows there that they had this huge, almost conveyor machine that went in a circle. And the cows would walk out of one side of the barn, get on this, and they would all just line up. And it kept moving continuously the whole time. It moved slowly enough, and it was big enough. I don't know how many cows. It probably held 40 or 50 cows at one time and it would continuously spin, and from the time they got on and the milk machine was attached to them, by the time they traveled clear around the circle, it was enough time that they were completely milked. And then they would, the milk machine would come up, you know, un, whatever the word is, <laughs> let go, and they would walk off the other side, and this just went on and on and on. It was incredible to watch. Now, I've never worked on a dairy farm, but I've talked to some people who have, and what I've been told is If you don't milk the cow all the way, that cow will be in pain after a while, and it will eventually stop giving milk. See, God didn't give things to you just so you could hang on to it or bury it. Ultimately, hanging on to stuff will just bring you pain, because everything that you own actually owns you. You ever thought about that? If you own a cow, you have to feed that cow. You have to take care of that cow. You have to... Sometimes I put a roof over that cow. You have to milk that cow. It's a lot of work to own a cow. So when God gives you something, say, God, I'm willing to work hard for it, but I'm looking to see how I can give it back to you. Because there should be some words that we're all looking forward to hearing one day. Because, again, remember the point of this whole parable is that the master's coming back. Are you going to be ready? Are you going to hear the words of the first two servants? Well done, good, and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. As we study this passage, though, we realize that's not what everybody's going to hear because some are not ready. If he came today, and I hope he does, will you be ready? Will you be ready? God has a great work to do. And God lets us be a part of the blessing. It was such a blessing sitting down and talking with that pastor of that church in Louisiana in Sulfur, south of Sulfur, Louisiana. Now in Cajun Country. And hearing him. Say that it was. He couldn't believe. All, he was, tears in his eyes. I can't believe that somebody would care enough to come out here to the middle of nowhere and help us put a roof on. I didn't help much. I just stood on the ground and watched other people do it. I, I did a little bit, but then Larry and Ken were looking at me. saying, "You get down. You get down." They said, "We want you to be able to stand up to preach on Sunday and not be laying down to do it." I said, "Okay, I'll get down." It truly, the Bible is true when it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And in fact, you see these servants enjoyed, they had entered into the joy of the Lord because they were faithful to use what had been given to them by the Master for the Master's work. That's where joy comes from. And I hope and I pray that you and I will be ready when Jesus comes back, that we'll be faithful servants, faithful stewards of all that God has given us. Not because we want more for ourselves. No, we want to have more to give back to our master because it all came from him in the first place. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? Father, help us. We need you. Lord, you know my heart. I have to preach this message to myself as much as, probably even more so than anybody here. Because so often I get my eyes off of you. And on what I currently have or control or what I really wish I could have. And Lord, when I get that way, that's failing to realize that it all came from you in the first place. And we are to just give it all back and to use it for your glory. Lord, thank you for what you have blessed us with. Lord, may we learn to be content with what we have and be faithful with what you've entrusted to us. I pray for our church. I believe you have great things ahead for us. Lord, you've already done so much. We've had plans and you've changed them. We've had goals and you've exceeded them. Because, Lord, this isn't our church. This is your church. I pray that we would be continually reminded of that truth. And when we get worried about the culture, the situation, our economy, or the election, or whatever else is going on, I pray that we would look back to you, our Master, our Creator, our Father, our Savior, and our friend. We love you. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name I pray.